Well, good evening. Um, well, as Brother Dave announced, we'll be in looking at the consolations of the prophet Jeremiah, and we'll uh, start in chapter 30. We'll do a quick recap of uh, where we are. So we started uh, with the first uh, 25 chapters of Jeremiah combined. Uh, those were the first two lessons, and those were the um, the judgments uh, that uh, God was giving to Jeremiah to pronounce. That was a series of 12 sermons. And then we went to the conflicts of the prophet and talked about his enemies and false prophets. And that was chapters 26 through 29. And now we're into the consolations of the prophet. Uh, it, it's, I don't know. I suppose it's a little bit of a, a pun, but uh, it's rather consoling to think of the consolations, isn't it? Uh, to think of uh, God's love how he took time out of pronouncing judgment to, to, to give them a hope. And so we get to study about that uh, tonight. We'll uh, read the key verse, Jeremiah 33. It says, For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. So this takes place uh, during uh, basically the last year uh, of Judah's existence as a nation or their full conquering by the Chaldeans. Uh, Chapters 30 and 31 um, are not dated, uh, but are most likely uh, during or shortly after the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem. And we know that chapters 32 and 33 were written during the siege uh, in the 10th year of Zedekiah while Jeremiah was in prison. Uh, So here uh, the Lord is pronounced judgment. It is coming to pass as he has uh, told them that it would. uh, And he is trying to give them some amount of hope uh, going forward. When we consider the key verse, uh, it can be a little confusing by today's standards. Because it says, I will bring again the captivity of my people. But that word that's translated captivity, or rather the word that's translated as again, is is really to return. And the word translated as captivity could also be translated as captives, a noun in that sense. So uh, I will bring again, or I will return the captives, my people Israel and Judah. And so uh, what a a hope uh, to think Uh, that God had not forsaken them, even though I'm sure many of them felt that way, uh, God provided them opportunity again and again uh, to turn to him and to be what he would have them to be, uh, to answer uh, accordingly. Let's uh, turn to uh, Jeremiah 30, verses 14 and 15, and then we'll also look into 32. Um, This... Because these are, from a time perspective, uh, potentially not chronological, we're kind of going to jump back and forth a little bit. So let's look at uh, Jeremiah 30, verses 14 and 15. All thy lovers have forgotten thee. They seek thee not, for I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity. Because thy sins were increased, I have done these things unto thee. Let's turn to chapter 32. 
And we'll read verses 28 through 35. So this is really recapping why God is doing uh, this, why it has befallen Judah. Uh, Chapter 32, verse 28. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans that fight against this city shall come and set fire on this city and burn it with the houses upon whose roofs uh, they have offered incense unto Baal and poured out drink offerings unto other gods to provoke me to anger. For the children of Israel and the children of Judah have only done evil before me from their youth. For the children of their... For the children of Israel have only provoked me to anger with the work of their hands, saith the Lord. For this city hath been to me as a provocation of mine anger and of my fury from the day that they built it, even unto this day, that I should remove it from before my face. Because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger, they, their kings, their princes, their priests, and their prophets, and the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they have turned unto me the back, and not the face. Though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not hearkened to receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not. Neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. So here we see a summation of the fallen state of Judah. Uh, They uh, had turned from God. They had gone their own way and were propelling themselves uh, in that fashion. And so the Lord uh, mentioned several things here about how they had done offerings on their roofs. Well, those roofs would be burned. How they had defiled his temple. Well, that temple was going to be no more. Uh, it, it occurred to me when I was looking through this uh, that uh, discipline is a necessary thing for us to have understanding of anything. Uh, for it takes discipline to read the Word of God for understanding. Uh, it's easy just to open up and to read some words, and we know what those words mean in a general sense. But if we are truly to understand, if we are truly to seek after and and grab a hold of what it's saying, it takes discipline. Uh, Well, the same is true uh, in any of life. Uh, If we are to be good employees of where we work, if we are to learn a trade or learn uh, some new skill, we must have discipline. Uh, Well, the same is true here. The The children of Judah had turned and were undisciplined people. Uh, They were not serving the God of their fathers. They were not serving who they knew to serve from their hearts. And so God brought a different discipline. In verse 11 of chapter 30, we'll go back to that. uh, He said uh, something interesting. Jeremiah 30, 11. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, Though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. I will correct thee in measure, he says. Uh, There there was a correction necessary. And when we consider what we read, that 
they were not just serving other gods, but they, they had fallen to the place where they were actually sacrificing their children to Molech. Uh, it would be easy for us to look at this and say, well, I would have done something different. If you're in that camp, pray. Because who are we to judge God? By what authority? By what measure of any amount are we capable of judging God or His actions? Uh, We have no authority. Uh, We have no jurisdiction. We have no uh, possible means by way that we can pass judgment on the Lord. So the Lord is singular. He knew what was necessary in Judah. He knows what is necessary today. And so he passed judgment in the way that was necessary and certainly uh, the way uh, that he knew uh, would get their attention. Uh, Sin uh, brought them to a place uh, where they would no longer hear God. Uh, What else is left to help someone understand something? They had gotten themselves in a place where they were turning away, it says. That they were not hearing the Lord. What else is the Lord to do if your children will not hear you? For example, they decide that it would be a good idea as a little toddler to, to touch the stove. The hot stove. If they, if they don't hear you and don't obey your voice, what is left for you to do? Certainly you don't let your child get burned. Uh, but you take action in order to prevent it. Uh, That's just the way of it. That's what discipline is for. Uh, Sometimes the only way that we can help someone reverse their direction is to let them hit bottom. And it's a hard thing. Verse 12 goes on, uh, For thus saith the Lord, Thy bruise is incurable, and thy wound is grievous. It's an incurable bruise. Uh, Let's continue reading verse 13. There is none to plead thy cause that thou mayest be bound up. Thou hast no healing medicines. And we'll continue on with what we've already read. All thy lovers have forgotten thee. They seek thee not, for I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable, for the multitude of thine iniquity. What's interesting is that their, their sorrow was incurable because their sorrow was a worldly sorrow. Woe is me. What has happened to me? Well, why is all of this calamity happening to me? But they were not acknowledging their sin. Uh, you see, the sin uh, that was the source of their problem, uh, they were not dealing with. They were not seeing it for what it was. Uh, and that's why the Lord said, Thy bruise is incurable. There was no cure that they could find on their own or of their own power to fix what was wrong. Uh, well, the same is true for us today. Uh, we cannot find anything on our own power. Uh, nothing in this world uh, will fix the sin problem. Uh, the only remedy is to come God's way. The only remedy is to come through the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, to be saved, uh, to repent uh, and have your sins forgiven. Uh, That's the way of it. And that's what God was offering them here. Not the way of the cross, but the way of repentance. Uh, The way that they should come uh, to Him. 
it's, uh, it's amazing how, how far they went. Uh, but Lord, help us that we don't find ourselves in the same state. I have often been quite critical of the children of Israel and the children of Judah. It's easy when I'm reading in the comfort of my own chair about how horrible they went astray. It's easy for me to judge them. Uh, but look around. Uh, look around in the world today. Uh, look around at the, the parallels that we see. Oh, Lord, help us. Uh, Lord, help us to turn. Lord, help us to be a part of God's kingdom today. Not tomorrow, but today. <clears throat> uh, the beauty of all of this recap is that we see so much in chapter 30 of the, the glorious hope that God has provided for them. In verses 3, 10, and 18, the Lord makes clear to them that they will be released from captivity into their own land. In verse 8, that the yoke of bondage will be broken. In verse 9, they will serve the Lord once more. In verse 10, they will enjoy rest, quietness, and freedom from fear. What a comfort that would have been to them in the midst of the siege against Jerusalem. It was bad. It was very bad. And if we had had time in the first 25 chapters, some of the things that were mentioned during that siege, well, you and I would never want to see that. But they would enjoy freedom from fear, it says. In verse 11, a remnant would be spared. In verse 17, Israel's incurable wounds would be healed. In verse 18, Jerusalem will be rebuilt. In verse 19, the people will rejoice. They will be multiplied and given honor. Verse 20, those who oppress them will be punished. Verse 21, they will be governed by one of their own, their Messiah. And verse 22, they will be acknowledged as God's people. So there's a lot of hope in chapter 30. There's a lot of uh, beauty there uh, for them to hold on to. Uh, you see, they were meant to go into captivity, but that was to me meant to be just a, a short time. And I don't know if we would consider 70 years a short time. I don't know, ask a 100-year-old if they thought 70 was short. Ask a 30-year-old if they think 70 is short. I don't know, it, it probably depends on your perspective. But in God's eternity in the length of the way God uh, makes things known, uh, it really is a short time. Uh, in uh, verse 11, so let's just focus on a few of these. In verse 11, uh, we talked about this correction in measure. Uh, and I thought of some scriptures. Again, if you have a, a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil, you'll want to write some of these down. Uh, but there are several supporting scriptures talking about the chastisement of the Lord being a good thing for us. Uh, Job 5.17, and he says, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Even Job, who was in the midst of uh, difficulty himself, uh, having his uh, vast uh, wealth uh, disappear, having his children uh, taken from him, and even his own body racked with disease. He said, Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Uh, Psalm 94, verses 12 and 13, Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. I like that. That thou mayest give him rest 
from the days of adversity. You know, see, God's chastisement, God's correction is for our good. Not because God takes any pleasure out of that. Not because God wishes any of that. If God took pleasure uh, from chastising or from, uh, from doing all of that, you'd never see a good time in Israel or Judah. You'd never see a, a time of prosperity. You'd never see a, a blessing because God wouldn't take pleasure in that. But He does. He takes pleasure uh, in blessing people, not in cursing them, but He knows what is best for them. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6 all talk about the chastening of the Lord. And in Revelation 3.19, these are the words of Jesus, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. The Lord loves us with an everlasting love. And His desire is to see that we are in His grace, that we are in His kingdom, that we are in a part of the body of Christ. Verse 17 uh, talks about the incurable. And we talked a little bit about that already. Uh, You and I uh, don't have a cure for sin, uh, but Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Uh, You see, death passed upon all men, but but Jesus brought the remedy. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Jesus paid that price so that we could be cured from the incurable. And then in verse 21, we'll read that again. Or we'll read that. And the nobles shall be of themselves and their governor... Uh, the governor shall proceed from the midst of them, and I will cause him to draw near. He shall approach unto me, for who is this that in, engaged his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord? Uh, this is just a precursor or a prophecy of the Messiah coming, and he would rule, and he would be their king and their priest. And it goes on in verse 22, And ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Uh, he further uh, talked about joy uh, that would come. And I like this. So we'll go to chapter 31. Uh, chapter 31, verses 4 and 13. He talks about that there would be dancing. That there would be uh, a joyous time. Uh, culturally, uh, dancing was significant, especially at weddings or feasts. Uh, but uh, they, there would be joy is the point. In verses 5 and 28, uh, he said there would be planting, which means that the desolate land... Now remember, it had been besieged uh, by uh, Nebuchadnezzar and it had been besieged and and brought into subjection. There would be nobody there to till it and it would be dry and it would be barren. But here he says there would be planting. Uh, He would restore the land. He would restore the fruit of that land to them that they would be able to to plant, that they would be able to have good things once again. Uh, God had given Abraham the promise that he would uh, bring the children into a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, verses 7 and 12 talk about that there will be singing. Uh, you know, sometimes we sing when we're sad. Hopefully it's to encourage ourselves. Uh, but a lot of times you find that we sing when we're in a, in a good mood. And so uh, there would be joy. Uh, what a blessing to think of all of that. In chapter 31, verse 2, he says this, Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left 
of the sword found grace in the wilderness. Even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. So this is speaking of the time in which, or appears to be speaking of the time in which the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness uh, and would eventually be brought into the promised land. Uh, but this is really specifically talking about those that were 20 years old and, and younger uh, who really didn't have a part in the decision that was made. Uh, you see, they had decided that it was not possible for God to help them in the promised land. They were afraid. And they elected all except for Jacob uh, and Caleb. Not Jacob, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Joseph and Caleb. Uh, Joshua and Caleb, there we go. I knew it was a J word, right? Uh, all except for those two uh, they were not uh, going to enter the promised land, that they could not do that. And so the Lord uh, told them that they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, well, uh, everyone died in the wilderness, uh, except for uh, Joshua and Caleb and those that were under the age of 20. I got to thinking about that in regards to those that went into captivity. Why do you suppose Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were sent into captivity? I mean, really, when you when you look at this, I mean, they were, uh, for everything we read, they were very upstanding, godly men. They were people that wanted to serve the Lord, yet we know that they were carried away captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we know that uh, they were a, a part of all of that. Why do you suppose that they went into captivity? Well, judgment fell upon Judah. Uh, Daniel and his compatriots were were part of the uh, the people of Judah. It didn't mean that they, as individuals, deserved what went on. You know, sometimes uh, you and I might go through difficult times that has nothing to do with anything that we've done. But it might be because of the sin of someone else. Or it could be because uh, of unknown reasons. We don't really know. But we can rest assured that with the promise that we read here, with looking at Daniel and uh, his compatriots' lives, that God will be with us through those trials. You see, God provided a place for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He propelled them in uh, this country, this foreign nation, this ungodly nation. He propelled them into places of authority. He, he watched out for them and said that they had an excellent spirit. The Lord was faithful to them. And when we think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, perhaps this is the first time you've ever thought about them being brought into captivity. We don't think of them like that. We don't think of them as captives. We don't think of them as, uh, as people who had a hard time, although they went through hard places, don't get me wrong. But in general, we don't think of them that way because God was faithful to them. God was faithful to those that wandered in the wilderness, that, that had no part in the decision that was made, but it was made. And God brought them into the promised land. Well, God, God uh, was with Daniel and with his friends as well. Psalm 23 uh, says a few things about that. Uh, psalm 23, and I'm just going to read the whole psalm. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have a tendency when we look at this psalm to focus on the beginning. Lie down in green pastures, lead me beside still waters, restores my soul. You know, it sounds like that there's, there's plenty, that there's a lot of goodness that is going to follow this person. But then we continue to read, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a pretty weighty thing, isn't it? So how does the valley of the shadow of death fit into the same place as the green pastures? That just doesn't make any sense from an earthly perspective. Either you have one or the other. So how does this fit together? He goes on to say, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. And that is the key, isn't it? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He goes on to say that thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And he certainly did that for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And all of the children of Judah that followed and obeyed God's commands, all of those that purposed in their heart to do what God had asked them to do, God prepared a table before them in the presence of their enemies. And we know this is true. Uh, we read about Daniel and how he was thrown into a lion's den. How he was uh, plotted against. How Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even to the king, Nebuchadnezzar himself, uh, had to, uh, to go through a trial because they were not willing uh, to bow against the wishes of their God. Oh, but God was faithful. And He made it possible for them uh, to go on. And, and God will do that for us too. Uh, you know, the reality is, is that we live in this old sinful world. And we may be on the path of righteousness. Uh, well, God will see us through this old valley and make it possible for us to make heaven our home. Uh, just like He did for the children of Judah that obeyed Him. Question number four in your lesson uh, goes on says, Jeremiah was careful to repudiate the proverb uh, the fathers have eaten a sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge. Jeremiah 31, 29-30. says, what is the meaning of this proverb and why does God reject it? Uh, certainly it's not my fault was the, the idea. Uh, it's someone else's fault. We have a lot of that today. Uh, people like to blame uh, their past, their environment, uh, someone who did them wrong. Maybe even someone who did them something good, but they did something bad with it, so therefore it's the person who did something good's fault. Uh, people just don't want to take ownership of their own lives and their own sin. And that's where uh, Judah was, uh, complaining that, uh, that it was all because of someone else. And perhaps they had somewhat of a case. Uh, we know that Manasseh was evil, and Manasseh had brought judgment on them. But over and over again, we get to that same point where God gave them opportunity to repent and turn. You know, and we see that that was true, uh, that God would, would turn because when Josiah came, when a good king came, when one who wanted to follow God came, the Lord pushed off that judgment. And He would have done the same for Judah. So it's not my fault. It doesn't hold any water. 
God doesn't look at that and say, oh, you're right, it's not your fault, I'll just give you a pass. It doesn't work like that. You and I have to take ownership of our own. We all have to come before God ourselves, make sure that we are ready, make sure that we repent of our own sin. I've heard it time and time again in testimonies. People say, I, I couldn't just live off of my parents' faith. I had to have my own. Well, that's true uh, for all of us, that we must have our own faith. We must come to God ourselves and face God for our sins and repent of those sins. And God will be faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. <clears throat> we read in... Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Amen. I hope that filled you with, with joy. Uh, this uh, covenant that the Lord spoke about, uh, these covenants uh, in the past, uh, we read in Genesis uh, 6 and 9 that the, the Lord made a covenant with Noah. Uh, that covenant was signified uh, by the rainbow. And you can read more about that at your leisure. Uh, so this was a covenant. God would no longer uh, destroy the whole earth uh, with a flood. He made a promise at that time. Uh, and the condition uh, was that Noah and his descendants would serve the Lord. Uh, we read in Genesis uh, chapter 15 uh, that Abram, was given a covenant. Uh, this covenant was to be of the promised land, uh, the promise uh, of this land that they would enter into, a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, and Abraham's condition was that uh, his seed, he and his seed after him, would follow uh, the Lord. And then we read uh, God making, uh, reestablishing the covenant uh, of Abraham, uh, but further making a covenant with Moses, in which in Exodus 19:5 he talks about but uh, that they would obey the law. <coughs> he gave them this uh, this law, the 10 commandments as well as the Levitical law, uh, how the tabernacle was to be put together, all of these different ways that they were to act, and as long as they followed the law, uh, then they were considered righteous according to the law. The difficulty with that is that the law couldn't save them. Oh, the, the Lord uh, put in place things, and obedience, of course, is very important to the Lord. So they, they were obeying by doing these things. But, but all of these things that God instituted were just pointers to the one who had come, uh, to the Messiah, 
uh, to the promised one that had been given to, to Abraham. He was promised that there would be, uh, that all nations would be blessed uh, by his seed. Uh, that there would be one who would rise up and be uh, the Messiah. And that was Jesus Christ. He fulfilled all of these covenants. Uh, he was a piece of all of these. And so well, we have this grand uh, new covenant, as it were. Uh, you and I no longer have to uh, sacrifice uh, according to the old law. Uh, well, I've never done that. I, I don't know that you have. But uh, that law uh, has been fulfilled. It was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, we read in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Uh, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the Gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. We go down to Galatians uh, 3, chapter, verses 22 through 26. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Even here, when we consider Jeremiah's time, the just still lived by their faith. You see, they had the opportunity to to follow after uh, the God of heaven and to do what He had commanded them to do. The temple would be destroyed. Uh, there would be no way for them to do sacrifice in that way anymore. Uh, but God said if they would just serve Him and go into captivity, live their lives there, that God would be with them and He would bring them out of that land back into their own land where they would restore worship of God as He saw fit. We continue on and we'll go into chapter 32. And chapter 32 is really interesting because... Uh, it's a it's kind of an object lesson rolled up in a property deal, a land deal. Uh, so let's read a little bit about that. Chapter 32, verses 6 through 8. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, Anamiel, the son of Shalom, thine uncle, shall come unto thee, saying, Buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. So Hanamiel... Mine uncle's son came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is thine and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. Now, from an earthly perspective, this doesn't make any sense for Jeremiah to do. As far as land deals go and speculation... Uh, the the land in Anathoth was already overrun by the Chaldeans. What hope did Jeremiah have to get any purpose out of that land whatsoever? So from an earthly perspective, it didn't make any sense. And Jeremiah knew that. But the Lord had prepared Jeremiah uh, for this to come his way 
by giving him fair warning, hey, your uncle's going to come and want you to buy this land. So Jeremiah did what God wanted him to do. He bought that land. And I want to talk a little bit about this idea of right of redemption. It's a fascinating subject. In their time, the land was divvied up and given to families when they came into the promised land. Those families had right to that land and it was divvied up further into different portions of the family. And so when you had a piece of land, that was not just yours, but it was also your children's land and their children's land. And so that was a really important deal. So Jeremiah then, this land was coming with opportunity to him because he had the right of redemption of that property. His uncle, apparently there was no one else that he could give it to. And so he came to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah had right of redemption. Uh, we read a little bit about that in Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth. In fact, actually read the whole book. You'll be blessed, I'm sure. But in Ruth chapter 4, we see where Boaz uh, wanted to marry Ruth, wanted to do right by his near kinsman, Naomi. But he was not the one that was in the next line to be able to buy Naomi's property. And so he, he went to that other near kinsman that was closer and had the right of redemption. And they worked out a deal in which Boaz received that right from him. So read that in Ruth chapter 4. But that right of redemption, it is my right to buy this and to purchase it uh, for my family. <coughs> well, here we get the picture of God's right of redemption. Uh, this is God's earth. He, he declared that already uh, to Jeremiah uh, over and over again. It is His. And He has the right of redemption to all that He has created. And so God has been faithful to that right of redemption, even to watch uh, His own people, even to watch the people of the earth go their own way. God has been faithful uh, to reach out time and time again. And then we finally see uh, that the Lord paid the ultimate price, the redemption price. Jeremiah paid the price for that land. And as near as we can tell, it was a fair price especially considering it was overrun by the Chaldeans. But it was a fair price, and He paid a fair price for it. Jesus paid the fair price for you and I. A price that we could not pay. A price that we have no hope of paying or repaying. God had the right of redemption, and He exercised that right on the cross. So you and I have opportunity then. <coughs> to be the sons of God, to be the children of God uh, by that redemptive act that He took. We read in chapter 32, verses 16 through 19, how Jeremiah went on to pray. He was confused about this. He went and did what the Lord asked, but he began to pray. It's a good reason, a good thing to do. So we look into 32, 16 through 19. It says, Now when I had delivered the evidence of the purchase unto Barak, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. That's a good way to start a prayer, isn't it? 
to give God glory, to acknowledge who God is in all of this, to acknowledge basically in, in, <coughs> uh, in uh, consistency with this, to acknowledge where we fit. Uh, the Lord is the owner of all things. He has created it all. Uh, Jeremiah goes on to uh, talk about the, the coming punishment and the difficulties that they're going through. And then God gives a response. Uh, in uh, the same chapter, starting at verse 26, uh, Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Let's answer that question. Is there anything too hard for God? You know, people like to get all tripped up on, you know, could God make a rock that he can't pick up? Do you know how stupid that sounds? I'm sorry, that may be a little crass, but do you know how ridiculous that sounds? To, to think of, uh, of trying to trap the God that created you and I. What hope do you have to trap him? Is there anything too hard for God? The, the answer is that there is nothing too hard for God. Verse 28, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And then the Lord goes on, and we've already read all of this, about how he was going to bring punishment because of what they had done. But then he, he goes on in verses 37 and 38, and this is beautiful. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries, whither I have driven them in mine anger and in my fury and in great wrath. And I will bring them again into this place, unto this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. We go on to verses 34 and 44, 43 and 44, pardon me. And fields shall be bought in this land, whereof ye say, it is desolate without man or beast. It is given into the hand of the Chaldeans. So this is direct answer to Jeremiah and his question about buying this property. Verse 44, men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin and in the palaces about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah and in the cities of the mountains and in the cities of the valley and in the cities of the south. Boy, this is, this is all over. The Lord is going to restore them. For I will cause their captivity to return or the captives to return, saith the Lord. What a beautiful thing. Uh, here the Lord starts off with the same way that Jeremiah, he responded, is there anything too hard for me? He, he listed all of the horrible things that must come to pass because of their, uh, their uh, sin and because of how far they had gone. But then he says there is hope. There is hope for them that they should come back into this land, that he would gather them from all nations. And there's a double meaning to this. It wasn't just that they should come back after the 70 years, uh, but here God promises that they would be able to be in the, uh, the kingdom of their Messiah. You see, the Lord is coming back and there will be uh, this uh, millennial reign that is talked about. Uh, the Lord will reign for a thousand years here on this earth. And it's very clear that those that do not come uh, will be subject to drought, to infestation. But those that are faithful and worship Him, they will be restored completely. What a beautiful thing to think uh, what the Lord will do. We only have a little bit of time left. Uh, but we'll close in chapter 33 just looking at a couple verses here. Chapter 33, verses 15 through 18. It says, In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, 
and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely, and this is the name wherewith she shall be called, the Lord our righteousness. That's what Judah and Israel will be called. For thus saith the Lord David, pardon me, thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Neither shall the priests, the Levites, uh, want a man before me to offer burnt offerings and to kindle meat offerings and to do sacrifice continually. This was also mentioned in Jeremiah 23, verses 5 and 6, about uh, this one coming that was called the branch. Uh, Zechariah mentions the branch in chapter 3, verse 8, and in chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, and we'll read those. Zechariah 6, 12 and 13. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. And he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. You see, the Lord is both king and priest. He's also prophet. So we, we read here about uh, how David and the Levites will, will not want uh, for someone to sit on the throne or to be uh, in the, a man to offer burnt offerings. Uh, Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice and he is our high priest and he is also king of his kingdom. Uh, you know, if you're watching this and perhaps you're, you're backslidden, uh, or maybe you're just watching this because you're curious about Jeremiah and you don't know where you stand. Repent. Be saved. Uh, the Lord offers it. And He offers it willingly to you. He offers it that, that you might have redemption. Uh, the beauty of this is, is the God of the universe, uh, the One who holds everything in the palm of His hand, offers you a chance to be a part of His kingdom, offers you the chance to enter into the promised land, and make sure that your your wants and your desires and all of those things uh, will be taken care of in the afterlife. The Lord wants to save you. He wants to, to help you. He wants to make you free from the sin of this life. He wants to, he wants to forgive you. Uh, perhaps you are listening to this because uh, you're a, a Bible student and you you're saved and, and perhaps you're uh, going on with the Lord, well, uh, well, hopefully this has encouraged you to go even deeper with the Lord. Hopefully this has encouraged you to, uh, to even uh, be more into the Word of God, uh, to seek out uh, those things and to learn. Uh, may God bless you. Uh, we'll end here with this assurance that He gave in verses 20 and 21. Thus saith the Lord, if ye can break My covenant of the day and My covenant of the night, and that there should not be day and night in their season. Then may also my covenant be broken with David my servant, that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. Uh, the Lord is telling us here that His Word is as sure as night and day. Uh, that if you and I have the power to break night and day, then we can break that covenant. But you and I don't have that power. Uh, we have assurance that God will be faithful. He will continue uh, to look after us if we follow after Him. And that's the message that He gives to us tonight. Uh, may God bless you as you seek the Lord. Uh, open your heart to Him and God will, will fill you to overflowing. Uh, that's the truth of it from the authority of God's Word. You don't even have to take my word for it. Just try it. 
The Lord says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, You'll be able to know. Amen. God bless you.